It's one of those things that you don't ever take lightly. You don't just go, oh, you know, it's just, it's just churches back home or it's just friends. It's, no, these are, these are relationships that fuel the move of God into the nations. These are relationships that give velocity to the, to the movement of revival happening to areas that otherwise there would be no revival happening. So we're privileged and we just want to honor Pastors Nick and Misty whilst we're here. Although they're not here, we're so blessed to be here today. And we, we love you guys dearly. And we look forward to when we actually do get to see Pastors Nick and Misty again. Um, as soon as they get back, we'll have to rush down and spend a bit of time with them. Um, but Jamie and I just wanted to, you know, greet you. And um, there's a few new faces in the building that um, we're not familiar with, so we wanted to introduce ourselves and introduce our ministry and share a testimony of two or two, and then jump into a little bit of the word, bit of an encouragement, and uh, go from there. So, do you want to say anything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> no, I'll share some testimonies, but first you can go okay. ahead and talk about what I'll, we do. I'll talk about what we do. So, we, we're well rehearsed, as you can tell. Um, we practiced it on the drive <laughs> whilst listening to a sermon. <laughs> um, so we, we are, are missionaries with obviously an organization called Overland Missions. Uh, Overland Missions uh, is a ministry with an endeavor to take the gospel to remote people by location. Uh, in other words, we know Port St. Lucie has remote people to the Word of God. We know that Fort Pierce has unreached people with the Word of God. But we also know that Pure Ministries is in these places and are reaching these, these, these unreached communities and other churches, etc., etc. So we're not saying we, we just, just focus in on, on unreached people, but we focus on, on unreached people who are in a tough location to get to, if you know what I mean. That's kind of like our niche. Um, not to say we're exclusive in that. And what we do is we go into these remote locations and we preach the Word of God. We bring the revival. We bring the, the redemptive nature of the, of the finished work of the cross to people. We share with them their, their new creation identity and the fullness of what it is to die unto yourself and be born anew. And we, we take years and years to, to raise up disciples and, and to allow the move of God. You know, when you, when you plant a seed, you know, as, as Pastor Mike just shared, when, when a seed is planted, it doesn't just pop up. It doesn't just magically become a, a tree the next day. Someone has to invest every day into either plowing the soil, preparing the soil, planting the seed, watering the seed, making sure the little bugs and stuff don't come in or the weeds don't come in or, you know, the birds don't come and snatch it away or the sun doesn't bake it or whatever it is or the, or, or the, the, the water doesn't get to it. It takes time to allow the seed to grow. And the same in the physical is the same in the spirit. We, when we plant the seed of God into people's lives, it takes time. It takes time to make sure that that is sustained and that the, the tree itself can, can, can drink from rivers of deep and, and be self-sustained. And we make sure when we carry the gospel into these um, areas, into nations, I, I laugh that you said Mozambique because that's actually like, that's, that's Mozambique's waves behind you here. Uh, it's just one of the most beautiful places on earth. And we, we do a great work in Mozambique. We work in uh, multiple countries around the world. At the moment, we have just shy of, or just on 300 full-time missionaries in our organization. 
Uh, most, 95% of them, 98% of them are Americans, um, giving up their, their lives in a, in a society which, you know, as we, we shared on what are you grateful for, are you grateful for Starbucks drive through or Dunkin' Donuts delivery or whatever it is, you know, giving up things that may seem so trivial here, but when you're living in a foreign nation, and, and I must admit, that stuff doesn't tempt me. It's not like, oh, I want to move back to America so I can get a drive through donut. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Clearly, I enjoy my donuts every so often, but um, it, it's, that's not the temptation. But there is a temptation to come back to have the, the security of a first world environment, medical, uh, economic, you know, political, which can be rocky, safety, whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever your security blanket is, it is something that you have to lay at the altar and, and come into the nations. And most of our missionaries, I'll be honest with you, they're probably about 24, 25 years old. Hey? It's probably our average age. We haven't quite worked it out yet, but I'm guessing anywhere 25 to 30 years old is the average age of our missionaries, uh, young men and women who've finished their schooling, finished their college maybe, and said, no, I'm going to lay it at the altar. I don't want the security of the Western world and I want to I go all out to the nations, carrying this, this word. And, and we work all over sub-Saharan Africa. We're actually breaking into, we call it MENA, which is the Middle East, North Africa, countries that are, can't always be named publicly for obvious reasons. Uh, we're in Southeast Asia, in, in, in places that can be named, like uh, Cambodia and places that can't be named, other countries in Southeast Asia, where we have full-time missionaries, either open in their approach to the gospel, undercover in their approach to the gospel. We're, we're in South America preaching the gospel. We're in, um, in Brazil. Oh, that, that's South America, yeah. Brazil preaching the gospel. We're off the coast of Africa and Zanzibar, several countries around the world where people have committed themselves to investing their lives into the kingdom of God. Um, and Jamie and I, our roles in Overland Missions, which maybe I'll, I'll let Jamie share a bit more, but we... We've been with Overland since 2006. I, I joke and say, like, I had no plans of being a missionary growing up in South Africa. I, I had no desire to be a full-time. I didn't even know what a missionary was, to be honest with you, uh, when I met some missionaries and went up to see what it was all about. And that was in 2006, and I'm still, I guess, seeing what it's all about. Um, the Lord has a funny way of tricking us, <laughs> Jehovah Sneaky. Um, but, but Jamie and I, over the years, have grown in our roles and responsibilities in the organization. And, and currently, we probably hold three roles, hey? is that correct? We are the international directors of our advanced mission training school, which um, I'll let you, well, I'll share on. And uh, basically, what our advanced mission training school is, is the, it's the ability for us to train and equip young in terms of time on the field, not in terms of age, missionaries who want to give their lives into full-time mission work. People who are saying, I feel the call of God. I feel this burn in my spirit. I don't know where to go with it. Um, probably you've heard of other mission training endeavors such as YWAM or Teen Missions is up North Merritt Island. Um, Overland Missions, we have AMT. I'd like to say they're similar, but they're probably not. Um, in terms of, yes, equipping and training, most mission trainings are going to be similar. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know who you are in Christ first and all because how can, you, how can you take that message to someone else if you yourself are not convinced of it? Um, 
You, you need to know what the finished work of the cross is. We, we teach and deliver that into our students' lives in our mission training school. But in Overland, our training school is an endeavor to get people onto the mission field with us. So throughout our AMT training, which we host at our flagship mission base in Zambia, um, we actually have the ability to allow our students into two other locations, both Mozambique and in Jordan. And... Um, we, we train and equip the, the students in the physical nature of what it takes to live on the mission field, what it's, because you're on a mission field, you're on a mission base, you're with missionaries. They get to see the ins and the outs, and we equip them with the theological side of what that is. Um, and throughout that whole three-month training, we basically give the opportunity or recruit people to an assignment within Overland Mission, so a nation or a location or an, a, a a department that we work in. Um, so it is a means to an end, essentially, to get people into our team, show them the culture, the DNA. I, I always, with a terrible analogy, use it as like football. It's, it's kind of like you have the Jaguars, Jaguars, Jacksonville, and then you have like Miami Dolphins, and you have like the Steelers. They all play the same game, but they all wear a different shirt and they all have a different coach and a different strategy and throughout AMT you learn who we are what the color of our jersey is how do we how do we take this ball across the line essentially um, and that's that's Jamie and my primary role we're so blessed to get to invest into our students day in and day out and raise them up to become full-time missionaries on the field uh, the second department that we work in is our pastoral care department I'll let Jamie share on that okay <laughs> sorry I jabbed a lot <laughs> Our pastoral care division um, is made up of several couples and some singles, and we basically just oversee our team um, pastorally. So when you get a, a bigger organization like um, ours with 300 full-time missionaries, we have a vision to, <clears throat> excuse me, to make sure that our people stay on the field. And a part of making sure that our people stay on the field is just making sure that they are, um, yeah they are pastored, that we shepherd them in a way um, that also supports the apostolic calling. Um, we just found that over the years, <clears throat> excuse me, that when our staff would reach out to their um, their churches that they used to attend in the United States or in other parts of the world, a lot of pastors, um, upon hearing about any of their trials and tribulations, would automatically say, well, it's time for you to come off the field and come home. And generally, that is not the case. It's normally not the case that it's time for people to leave the field. It's just that they need support. They need somebody to walk with them through uh, certain trials and tribulations because the reality is that the... Um, devil is like a roaring lion um, prowling about seeking whom he may devour. And that is very true for people that are in the body of Christ that are doing a work for the Lord and that are on the front lines in ministry. So, um, yeah, so we, we do that. and Cool. And then the third thing we do, which I actually have a little video that I wanted to show you. And we don't want to bore you with like just like a little bit about our lives, but <laughs> we never like talking about ourselves. I love talking about the team, you know, because it is us, like that video of the King of Kings, it is us. Um, but the third thing that we do together, and, and I'll preface this, is Jamie's not in the workshops welding when I say we do this together, but she is in the design elements and in the, in the creative side of, of this next project is um, we are building a... a Retreat resort. I hate to say resort. A uh, boutique style lodge. Boutique style <laughs> lodge. 
It's very eloquent coming off my South African accent. Um, but we, we are building a boutique-style lodge um, on our mission base that is focused in on these kings and these leaders and these traditional um, uh, governing figures in both Zambia and the surrounding nations where, as you heard um, the one king from Nigeria, he said, you know, in, in our culture, we can't just, <laughs> I just laughed because he was bold. He said, we can't just let our hair down. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, we can't just let our hair down and be ourselves in worship to the Lord because we have to stand on protocol. And they do. They are essentially a, a figure um, for the people's eye that has to be above the people because of their culture. So, for example, a, a traditional leader who is really orthodox in their, in their culture will, know, will never eat with their subjects, will never have a subject lay hands on them. Obviously, they'll do maybe a greeting or whatever. That's like it's a very casual, but never like lay hands. So as a minister, how can you lay hands on these kings and, and pray the word of God over them? Because that's a, a position of, of submission. That would be totally, totally unallowed. And they could actually lose their lives, some of them, if they are truly, truly orthodox. And even, in, I would say, even <clears throat> it's not even a matter of their subjects can't eat with them. It's they couldn't even eat with us. We're not yeah. their subjects. They have to go into a room alone and eat. And there are certain things like, <clears throat> if you were to know their first name and say it out loud, um, that would be grounds for... <laughs> yeah, you get, um, you get in trouble. You get in trouble. I don't know. If you're a local, like a part of their, their, their kingdom, you'd be very much in trouble. But as foreigners, they obviously have so much grace for us. Um, but there's so many protocols that these kings, that we have to, have to uh, be subject to, and we're totally fine with it. Like, None of us care that when we go into a king's palace in their, in, their, in their chiefdom that we bow and clap and do their protocols because we're not subject to rulers of this earth, but we honor them as kings placed by God. Um, and, and we're fine with that. We're fine with that because we are in subjection to a true king. So we're building a, a lodge where we can invite these kings and traditional leaders to our mission base. And it's a lodge that... Um, isn't just like shabby put together, but it's a place that represents the, the position of their authority where they can come in and all of a sudden now protocols are no longer needed because you're, you're at our home. You're in our place. We've invited you as a guest. You've got your own, um, we call them chalets. Uh, what would you call them in America? Like cabin. Bad word, cabin. I don't know. No, it'd be more like a villa. Your own villa, even better. You get your own <laughs> villa. Um, you, you, there's a, there's a, a, a conference room, a, a massive dining uh, room, a massive like entrance foyer, a library, a place to get quiet, a place where we can sit with multiple kings and, and strategize on how the kingdoms of the kingdom of God can can invade into their into their um, their territories, how they can resolve disputes or or work within um, promotion of resources, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes a strategizing place. Um, so Jamie and I are heading up the, the construction of that. And uh, just, just as a, a side note, I'm not an engineer. 
I, I studied geology and uh, I studied geography and in environmental engineering at university. But it is something that I enjoy doing and that, that the Lord has put in my hands. So I'm kind of pulling a bit of a Nehemiah on this thing. Um, I wish it would be done in 54 days or 72, whatever it is, but we're a year in. Um, okay, so we, well rehearsed, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the project that I'm working on at the moment. Um, uh, it, is, it is an exciting project. I, you know, as you do these things, sometimes you, you question yourself because you, you saw the video before with the King of Kings and all the kings coming in and our team. I was very privileged to have been there. I wasn't involved in the planning and the organizing of the event, to be honest with you. I was back doing a lot of the construction work and working with the Mission School. Um, but, but sometimes some stuff you lay your hand to doesn't get the, the limelight. It doesn't get that like, wow, international media, this is the big event. And, and to be honest with you, when the, when the project is opened, it will probably not be, well, most likely will not be us. Like, well, yeah, open it. It'll be, it'll be the leadership and the, the presidential figures of the country. But, but as I was building it, I really felt the Lord, uh, as we started building it, I felt the Lord say, it is an, it's, it's not an, a, a matter of like what you're doing or, or how you're doing it, but it's, you have to remember who you are doing it for. And the honor comes in the fact that you're doing this, A, for these traditional leaders who no one else wants to recognize. No one else wants to focus on, on these guys unless they're trying to get a resource out of them. You know, the copper in Zambia or the minerals in the water or whatever it is. But truly beyond all of that, we are doing it for the Lord because it's His. It's His vision. It's His people that are under it. And the Lord reminded me so sweetly that we do all things as unto the Lord, not unto man. And when we lay our hands upon it, it doesn't matter if it gets the video highlights or not. It doesn't matter if it gets the, the newspaper clippings or not. What matters is, is did you do it unto the Lord or did you do it for unto man? Um, so, so we're privileged. We're very blessed to be able to be working on this and trusting that as we, as we build and as we lay our hands upon, you know, these huge steel beams and, and make massive orders of steel and stuff that we, um, that we grow in our ability to, to handle more and to, to come up with creative and inventive ideas, the things that the Lord really delights himself in. So before I jump into the Word, I just wanted Jamie to share a testimony. Um, yeah. Go ahead. We'll hand it over to you. <laughs> We're in a nice flow up here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to <laughs> share a couple of testimonies from the field with you. Um, there are many that I think about. And I'm trying to remember which ones I've shared previously in this church, or maybe it doesn't matter what I've shared before, and I'll share it again. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. A day in the life of Kieran and Jamie and our family <laughs> Um for us, it just becomes ordinary days, just like you guys have an ordinary day here. And then it's hard to kind of like draw it out and show you, um, you know, what it is just because it seems so ordinary to us. But um, let me just, let, can we first just give them like what a day is like in our life? Okay. A day in our life. I am a homeschool mom on the field, by the way. I homeschool, but I also have roles. So the, the first portion of my day when I wake up on our mission base in Zambia is um, breakfast and get the kids focused enough to sit down and do their schooling. I 
they will get up here and tell you that they do not like to go to school. I don't know a lot of kids that love to go to school. Um, my kids especially don't, but I am praying for them every day that they will love the academics. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, they have a lot of, um, you know, experience traveling and seeing the world and seeing different cultures that makes up for their um, lack of love for academics. But Anyway, I try. I would say, honestly, that it's probably the hardest part of my day is homeschooling. <laughs> like, living in Africa, traveling 16 hours by car, um, I don't know, doing all the rough and rugged things is not difficult for me, but homeschooling is like a laying down of my life and tears and prayer and being an absolute surrender to the Lord. And my kids will probably say the same, that they are in tears and prayer and an absolute surrender to the Lord over this. So that is a good portion of my day is just discipling my two little people right here who are going to grow up to love Jesus so much. And they already love the nation so much. And they've already said, Mom, Dad, we want to work for Overland Missions. They're like the, you know, <laughs> go into the nations or bust. And we have not, can we have not like sat there and subliminally like messaged them like you will go to the mission field. We were like, you can do whatever you want as long as it is Holy Spirit led. You know, maybe he, maybe he has something different for you. But they're like, no, it's Overland Missions or bust. So <clears throat> that's a good part of my day. While while I am doing that, Kieran is out walking, I don't know, 26 plus kilometers during the day, working on building the King Center, um, which is on our same property, but it's a very large property. So it's a bit of a walk to get out to him. So I don't actually go often to go and see him. Um, and then in the meantime, we're also checking up on our advanced mission training students. So when we have our mission training students um, enrolled, they come and they spend three months on our mission base with us, living on the base with us, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, going to class, interacting with our family. And I, um, Kieran and I make a point of checking in on them daily. Although we are not physically running the school at the moment, we have people in place that we oversee that run the school and do the 24-7 um, a job with them, but we are actively touching in and discipling these young, not always young people, but normally young people on a daily basis. We're sharing our lives with them. We are um, encouraging them in the Lord. We're teaching them, um, yeah, just how to live in the nations and adopt the culture of the kingdom of God. We find that a lot of people that come to us, they're not coming out of a church that's like so solid in the word like this church. They're coming to us without knowing much of the word of God. They have not grown up in a culture of the word of God or a family um, that is kingdom culture. And so we really have to take them and disciple them back or disciple them into that process. And a lot of it is just, um, making sure that they have left Egypt <laughs> and they are saying goodbye to Egypt and they're saying hello to the promised land. And that's where God is actively leading them. And we're walking with them, you know, on that journey. And, um, just seeing God be so faithful to them and 
just watching all the the crud from the world breaking off of them because there is a lot of that on people that come out to us. There is a lot of just breaking off of just just the world, you know, and people have to be, uh, and pastors Nick and Misty and your pastors here will know that pastorally as you walk with people, um, well, people have to be walked with in that process and they have to be loved and encouraged and taught and they have to be disciplined and they have to be loved all in the, the same um, capacity. Um, so we'll be doing that. And then, yeah. And then we'll maybe see each other. <laughs> I don't know. Do we see each other very much? We don't. We don't. We, no. we it's work, a busy day. It's, it's a always busy a busy day. day in Africa. Um, without a doubt, our days start early, uh, very early. You remember we work, even though our roles are, are locked in at our main mission base, uh, within our, the leadership of our AMT school and the running of the building of the King Center, our workers who, who come in every day from the village and work with us, they are 100% subsistence-based village uh, farmers. So, so they come in early. We, we start our work day at 7 in the morning. Um, therefore, I'm up at 5, 5.30. And there's uh, no traffic on your way to work. There's no traffic when you walk to work. <laughs> um, ride your bicycle in. And... Yeah, we start off. We start off with with the people that we have at hand. You know, it reminds me of uh, Paul when he when he had a vision of a man in Macedonia who called upon him and, and said, "Come to Macedonia and 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 minister the word of God." And he went to Macedonia. And what did Paul do? He found the first person he could see, and that was Lydia. It wasn't even a guy, and she was dying purple cloth. And he, and he took her and he, and he invested into her. And there's no mention of the man in Macedonia again. Paul simply took the call and went to it. And, and he didn't have to find a certain person or a certain um, uh, personality or profile that he was going to minister to. For example, like when we go out, when you guys go out on the streets, you don't just have to look for a poor person or a rich person or whatever. You just find anyone. Grab a hold of them, and that's what Paul did. And and for Jamie and I, it's like we just grab whoever's there. Like I, if we're not in in a devotional time with our students or or teaching a class with our students, I, I'm with my workers. I grab a hold of them in the morning, and I'm like, okay, well, you, you're it today. I'm pouring the word of God into you. And of course, I get them every day, and they're a captive audience because we pay them to be there, so they have no choice. And uh, but they're the guys I got. They're the guys that we got, and we invest the word into them. We invest the kingdom of God into them in everything that we do, uh, because it's not—it's so easy to lose sight of of the kingdom of God in your work in the kingdom of God. Even though we're active missionaries, even though we live on a mission field, it's so easy to get into the mundane of just like, well, today's like, uh, I don't know, fix a truck or build something or drive there or go pick up that thing or teach that class. And just like it becomes this like um, conveyor belt mission. You're like, I'm just doing it because I have to do it. And you can so quickly forget that, no, you have to grab a hold of the people in front of you, look them in the eyes and go, hey, today the Lord has something for you and I'm going to deliver that to you. I'm going to deliver the living word of God to you no matter how many times I've done it before because every day comes with new manner. Every day comes with a fresh anointing. And that's Jamie and I's life. That's what we do every day. Yeah. And then um, because I have this thing in me where I got to get out. I got to get out to be with the, the people as much as I can, as, as much as homeschool will allow me to go out. 
I go with a friend to the market um, during the week. It's just a very rural market. It's like dried fish everywhere and there's flies everywhere and it doesn't smell very good. Um, But we go into the market and we literally just start praying for the sick and we just get all these people that start lining up Um, And they just hear through just like a little game of telephone that people are here praying for the sick. And we start seeing people get healed. And we go, um, once the the line has died down, we go to each and every, it's mostly ladies that are selling fish or tomatoes or onions or any kind of fresh vegetable at the market and say, hey, what do you need? Hey, we're here to, to share the gospel with you. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And often it's just right then and there, bam, people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, um, and just totally getting surrendered <laughs> to the Lord right uh, then and there. And every so often we get some people that will come up to us um, that have some pretty significant problems in their life. And one, one story that I always go back to that uh, honestly, it just has lit a fire in me that keeps me going to the market is I had a lady approach me one day and she was very quiet and she didn't want to talk um, very loud. So I took her aside to a more private area and she said, um, I, I, this, this is my story. This is my problem. I want you to pray for me and help me. And she said, um, my husband has had an affair on me and um, he left me. And listen, there was like 20 minutes of details that I'm leaving out, but essentially that's what happened. And she was in the pits of depression. Um, Often if you are married in Zambia and a woman and the husband leaves you, you really, you don't have a big chance at survival in terms of finances and shelter and food and warmth. Um, So it's kind of like the end of your provision in the natural And she said, I don't really know what to do. I don't have any family. Um, Or her family was against her at that moment, so they weren't interacting with her. And she said, I want to take my own life. I want to kill myself. Um, But I also have this plan in my mind that I'm going to kill my children and then I'm going to kill myself. And so I just paused right there. I didn't... I just said, hey, have you, have you received Jesus? Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart? Have you given him your life? And she said she had never done that. So before I even addressed anything, I just said, okay, let's just pray. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And she did, and we prayed, and it was like the most, it, was, it seemed like such a dry prayer. I didn't really feel anything in that moment. It wasn't like I had goosebumps or that I was shaking under the anointing of the Lord. It was just this very simple exchange between two humans, one giving them, offering them eternal life and a new life at that and at the end, she looked at me and I said, okay, let's talk about, um, you know, what these thoughts that are plaguing your mind and this plan that you've developed. Really, you know, it's in partnership with the enemy. And she said, hey, listen, I just want to let you know that um, we, don't, we don't need to talk about that because I, I'm like a new person and I feel like a completely new person inside. And that was just fantastic because she literally felt the new creation come upon her and she didn't have to deal with all the crud that she came to me with. Um, so those are, those are stories that I hear in the market, but I'll be honest, a lot of it is just discipling women day in and day out. I'm going to where they're selling clothes. I'm sitting with them. I'm talking to them. I'm getting to know about them and their families and their kids and their nieces and their nephews. And I'm talking with them through everyday life, getting to know them and pouring into them. And 
that process of discipleship is not speedy and fast. It is, sh- it, it is slow <laughs> and we get through it, but in a beautiful way. And you just see this um, transformation in people as you disciple them. So that's a lot of what, that's a testimony from the market. Amen. So. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's the, the truth of the matter is that often people want the highlight reels of your mission. You know, they want the, the three-minute video, it's, and they think that's every day. They think that every day you get to go out there and it's this miraculous meeting a king and leading him to the Lord and a whole people coming to you and a million people at your crusade, you know. But that's, that's not the reality. The reality is that some days it's, it's a lady in the market. And that's actually most days. Most days it's the lady in the market. And most days it's, it's just the, did, did the seed, the word of God, plant itself in one person today? Did, did, did one person's life get changed with the word of God? And if, and if we can see that as the miraculous, instead of only seeing the big story as the miraculous, we will actually see the hand of God so much more clearer in the nations. We'll see the hand of God so much clearer in our, in our communities. Because for every seed that's planted that takes root, a million other seeds grow from it. A million other seeds come up and spring with that same DNA. You know, I was thinking about your, your offering message um, with, the, with regard to seed. So often in life, we pray for the mighty oak tree. We pray for that big thing, like, Lord, I want the oak tree. I want to I wanna provide wood for families to build houses. I want to have shade for people who are, who are hot in the heat of the day. I want to provide food for <laughs> the squirrels. I'm trying to think what oak trees do. Uh, you know, I want to provide all these things, you know. I want to I influence the water table, you know, all these things that, that an oak tree would do. Uh, and, and God answers our prayer, and we're like, Lord, I didn't ask for an acorn. I asked for an oak tree. Why do I just keep getting these acorns in my hand? It's not the oak tree that I'm praying for. And, and if we could see that the full DNA of the oak tree is in the acorn, everything you prayed for is in that seed, but you have to be willing to sow it. You have to be willing to plant it in the ground. You have to be willing to let it go and say, it's no longer my seed, but now it's your seed, Lord. I put it into your hands. I put it into the kingdom. And I'll let the seed have its, have its way. I'll let it do its thing. Because for what a man sows, he shall reap. For God is not mocked. And, and we never sow without belief that a seed will produce a harvest. Is that not true? We never put a seed in the ground. Have you ever seen a farmer um, with plowed fields and, 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 and said to him, you know, what do you plan to grow? And he goes, oh, nothing. You know, I put all these potato seeds in the ground or I don't know, corn seeds in the ground, but I don't expect anything to come, so I'm just going to leave that field. Never once in our lives would we, would we find, if we found a farmer like that, we'd be like, dude, you, you're in the wrong job. That's, you're the worst farmer in the world. You, you should be in the stock market or something like that, you know? Like, let the farming go. But every time you speak to a farmer, he'll take you out and he'll go, look, here's my cornfield. You're like, yeah, it's a pile of dirt. He's like, no, no, you don't know what seed's in the ground. You don't know what I did to the soil to make sure the seed will have every opportunity to grow. You know, this is my, this is my wheat field. This is my, I don't know, apple orchard, whatever he's planted. And you're like, he knows, he knows the potential of the seed that he put in the ground because he studied the seed. 
because he's researched the seed, he's researched the ground. And, and when we want to see the fruit, we have to be willing to put the seed in the ground. And, and I just, I really want to encourage you guys that everything you've seen on these videos and the things that you haven't seen on the videos, the stories that haven't been told, the ones that are hidden away in the, in the journals of overland stories that'll never come public, they'll never be witnessed, you are still a part of that because you're willing to put seed into the mission, because you're willing to sow what is yours into the lives of people like Jamie and I and keep us on the mission field. You know, we, we have obviously many facets of Overland. We have a, a um, financial and administrative office here in Cocoa Beach where all of the donations go through and people process like every, every check. You know, two or three days ago, we did like what we call a folding party, uh, which is when we bring, we literally brought in about 100 of our missionaries that were in the area. We print off every receipt for every donation for the year for each person, you know, and they get printed and then we have to fold them and put them in an envelope and then they get in this big mailboxy thing. You know, we processed, I think, over 20,000 envelopes. That's 20,000 people who monthly gave seed into the mission. That's 20,000, I wouldn't say 20,000 people, it's probably, actually it was probably way more than that. It took 100 people like five hours. So I don't know how many, and you know how quickly you can fold. It's, it's maybe 100,000 seeds into the nation that will produce a harvest. Because people had faith in the work of God that's going to happen. Whether they knew the story, whether they got to eat the apple from the tree that they helped plant, or whether they didn't, but they knew it was feeding someone else. Their faith was there that that seed would grow. And they, in turn, have received in some way and some form, for God has not mocked the return on their investment. God will always return your investment. And, you know, it just reminds me, these testimonies remind me of, of so many scriptures that the Lord has given us. I love this scripture. I love the scripture in John 4, verses 34, um, verse 35, sorry. It says, Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers in fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, for one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. We have to have that heart. We have to know that we enter into each other's labors. That every king that was at our King of Kings event, 356 kings, whatever it was we had, every king, you guys had a part of that because you were willing to sow seed into that. You may, not, you may not know any of their names. You may never hear their stories, but it doesn't matter. That seed produced a fruit if you faithfully sowed and if you're willing to water that and keep planting, keep watering. Um, 2 Corinthians 9 verses 10 talks also about the seed and the sower. That's actually the one that, that you brought up earlier. Um, let me just quickly read it. It's not quite where my message is today, but oops, 2 Corinthians Nine, sorry, I'm going to quickly read this here. Uh, verses 10, it says, Now may, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. 
May he supply the seeds and multiply the seeds that you have sown. For God is faithful, guys. If you are believing for that oak tree and you pray and you get the acorn, it's him who provided the acorn. It's God who provided the ability for you to sow into the thing that you are believing for. And if you're believing for the nations, sow into the nations. If you're believing for Port St. Lucie and Fort Pierce, sow into people who are doing the ministry, even if you yourself are not going out. And I know in this church, Nick, Pastor Nick and Missy are getting you guys out. You're doing the work. No one here is idle. No one here is a bystander. But you will reap that reward. You may not see them daily sitting in the service here with you, but I promise you, in, in, in the eternal perspective of God, it is making a huge difference in their lives. It is hugely making a difference. Um, Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, it basically says, you know, if you, if, you look at the, if you look at the clouds and if you look at the sun and if, you, and if you keep looking at the physical nature, you'll never sow your seed and you'll never reap your harvest. Because if you look to the physical world and not to the spiritual world, there's always going to be an excuse of why you shouldn't partner with the kingdom of God. There's always going to be an excuse. Oh, it's 2023, you know, interest rates are really high. I probably should cut my tithing in preparation. I'm just being a good steward, you know. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to what I've got. Good stewardship in the kingdom of God is 100% the opposite of good stewardship in, in the physical world. And I'm not saying like, don't Dave Ramsey your books. Like, that's okay if you, that's the way you work. But don't avoid the ability to just one day just take everything you have and empty your bank account. Because if you're so stuck in that, like, here's my pie, I need to divide it and slice by slice by slice. And man, if I get outside of my pie slices, my pie is going to fall apart. That's not the way God works. That's not good stewardship in the kingdom of God. Look at the boy with his, his five loaves and his two fish. What did God say? Feed the people. He came and said, this is all I got. He didn't say, this is what I got. I mean, I can keep one loaf and one fish and maybe one or two of you guys can have a snack, you know? He said, no, I'm going to put everything I have into your hand because in the hand of God, the seed will always multiply. In the hand of God, there'll always be more than enough. And that little boy who gave of his all received the reward, which was the overflow of he got the provision, he saw the provision, and he literally fed Christ. I mean, how amazing is that? Or if you consider the lady, Mary, with the alabaster box. You know, she had lost her brother. She had lost, you, you know the story, she had lost Lazarus. He had died, and she was broken in every way, shape, and form. She had, she had felt God had let her down. And then God came and he raised Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. And what did she say? She said, I need to pour out everything I have onto the feet of Jesus. For the one that showed me he's able to do more than I could ever ask or imagine, I'm willing to pour out everything. And she took her most precious, most valuable, most prized commodity, her inheritance, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. And she was mocked for it. You will be mocked for it. People on the earth, people in your businesses, people and your, your family are going to go, why would you give to a church? How do you know Pure Ministries is going to do right with your money? How do you know where they're, they're not like eating out and eating lobster and sailing on yachts? You know, it doesn't matter. It was never up to you to manage what they did with it anyway. Did, did Mary go, Lord, uh, I don't want to waste this, so I'm going to take a syringe and a second, I'll just, I'll just give you a little, a little, you know, a little squirt. I think... You know, I can do with 
15 mils should cover the head and another 25 for the body. No, she just said, you know what? This is what I got. And I'm going to pour it onto Jesus. And what was her reward? Everywhere the gospel is preached, her name is mentioned. Her story is mentioned. She's not forgotten. And she was the only person who anointed Jesus for his burial. She was the only person who poured out everything she had and prepared Jesus for his burial. It was a part of the, the final and greatest gift God could ever give, which was his life. What an honor it is to sow into, into the work of the kingdom. What a privilege it is. And I really want to encourage you, and we spent way too long talking in the beginning to get to my, my message here, but um, I want to encourage you that everything you've seen and everything you haven't seen, if you really want to see more, please jump onto overlandmissions.com and just browse through and you'll see some testimonies and you'll see some videos. And we've got tons of videos online and stuff, but that's, that's just to encourage you. That's not to convince you. But that's just to encourage you to see the fruit that your seed is producing. Jamie and I and our kids live on the mission field by the generosity of people like this. Oh, and I forgot, that's what I was saying with the folding party. When we were folding and we do all this, our admin office, we've had, look, not everyone gets to see donations and stuff like that. Very few people do. But the person who deals with donations, they came to us and they said, she said to us, who are these pure ministry people? Why are they so generous? How big is that church? And I smiled. I said, oh, they are huge. <laughs> they are massive in their... In, in their in everything they do. If you come to their church, you'll be, you'll be blown away by their rave music worship and <laughs> their non-conforming to normal church styles. But her testimony of who you guys are is she only looked at the seed. She looked at the seed and she goes, oh my gosh, everyone's got a seed that's like, let's say an acorn's this big, I think. She's like, that acorn is huge. Who are these people? And how do they grow such big acorns on their tree? You know, that's the testimony that comes out of your church. And we just smiled and laughed. We were like, man, we all need people in our lives like Pastors Nick and Misty and, and, and you all who they, they cover and represent. We literally live on the mission field because of generosity of, of, of faithful believers like you who have sown into our mission. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna blaze through this uh, word that I felt like I should share with you guys today. Um, I, I apologize that I have to go through it so quickly, but um, I really wanted to share with you a story out of Second Kings because sometimes in life we get so stuck in that ability to know, should I do this or should I do that? Where are you at, Lord? Is this the right road or is this the right road? But we forget that we are co-laborers with Christ. In other words, we walk the road together. He's not sitting up, you know, <laughs> I just imagine like the traffic control booth with huge screens like this in some city. He's watching, goes, oh, look, Jimmy's walking over there. Mm, let's put a red light there to make sure he doesn't cross the road at the wrong time. Or oh, let's add a green arrow to the left so that he knows he's got to go that way to get to his destination. You know, he's not the voice on Google saying, turn left, you know, like you missed your turn, you turn. God is the guy in the seat next to you. He, he's the one who's walking with you hand in hand down the road and, and involved in every decision you make. You may not like feel it all the time, but I promise you he's there. I promise you he's there. And, and the story in 2 Kings is a fascinating one um, because 
we can sometimes get so lost in our understanding of whether we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. But I'm going to blaze through this, and I apologize that I'm going to do it so quickly, just so we can, can, uh, I can be respectful of your time. But in uh, 1 Kings 22, we read the story of Josephat, the king of Judah, and, and how he visits Ahab, the king of Israel. And um, in 22 verse 4, we, Ahab asks Josephat if he'll go and fight the Syrians with them to get um, the, the city or the land of Gilead, Gilead, however you say that. Um, and Josephat says to, to Ahab that he's like, yes, I will go with you. My horses are your horses. My chariots are your chariots. In other words, I'm in partnership with you. He goes, but I want to make sure that what the word of the Lord is on this thing. I want to double check what the Lord, word of the Lord is. What has the Lord said to you? So in 22.6, he says, that Ahab says that all 400 of my prophets have, have prophesied that we will win this battle. And Josephat's probably like, dude, do you have 401? You know, like, is there just one more? I'm not at peace with this thing. That's what I'm imagining. So he double questions himself. Like, I'm, I'm not fully at peace. Um, and Josephat asks if there is perhaps one more prophet that they can inquire from. And Ahab tells Joseph, he says, there is one more prophet, but he hates me <laughs> because he always says bad things about me. Not bad things in terms of like you're ugly or your shoes are smelly. Bad things in terms of like the Lord's not with you in this. So 400 are saying yes. And one guy's saying, mm, you might want to double check that. And, um, and they, they, they send a message to get this guy. His name's Micaiah. I think that's how you say it. And they bring him to encourage the king. And I, and I laugh so hard at this because they say to Micaiah, tell him that he's going to be good. Tell, make sure you also agree with us. The other 400 say, make sure you tell him the same thing we're telling him. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess, like if I have to. And he does. He goes, okay, so you're going to be good. You're going to go out and you're going to win this war. And Ahab says, no, no, you never tell me good things. I don't believe that you're saying this. Tell me the truth. So obviously, this one guy who stood apart from the crowd was willing to always be the one who spoke the word of God. At this point, the story is starting to like take a different flow from where we thought. We figured like in the beginning, oh, they're coming together. They're just going to go out there. They're going to like whip some guys and get the city back, and it's all going to be a walk in the park. And we're like, oh, wait, there's a little bit of a curveball coming in here. There's one guy who's willing to say, wait, no, that's not what I heard the Lord say. That's not what I felt God say. God speaks to me and I know his voice. And sorry, if the crowd is going this way, God's saying to me, we've got to go this way. And he does. He says, he says guys, it's not going to work. Um, and in, in 14, uh, 22, 14 to 18, let me quickly read this to you guys. He says this. Um, he says, and Micah says, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, um, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hands of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you are telling me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said to him, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as a sheep, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Um, 
So we, we, we're here in the heart of this prophet. We're here in the heart of someone who's, who stays out. And then um, he, he literally tells them, the rest of your prophets are prophesying from a lying spirit. And, and I, I would encourage you guys, read this. Read this and study it because sometimes it's easy to be deceived by the masses. If the masses are going one way, it's like, oh, why is everyone doing that? You have to be convinced of your heart of what God is doing. It, we, do, we get this in AMT with our mission students. So often, we, we, honestly, guys, we, we get a retention of about 75%. So about 75% of our students that go through our mission school decide to join Overland Missions. But there's always those few that are like, yes, I'll join too. We're like, are you convinced in your heart or are you just following your friends? Are you just doing that because you feel like that's the way to go? And the ones that just follow their friends, they fall away very quickly. Not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying they didn't follow the, where that pulse of God was leading them to. They didn't follow the, the, the line where God was taking them. And you have to be willing to listen to that. Um, so basically, Ahab says there's a lying spirit. And, um, oh, Mike... Uh, Micaiah says there's a lion's burden. Ahab gets so mad at him, he throws him in prison, <laughs> which is hilarious. He's like the only guy telling him the truth. He throws him in prison. And then in verse 29, I wanted to, I wanted to touch in on this because this is where things get crazy. Um, so the king of Israel and Josephat, so the king of Israel and Josephat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Josephat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on, um, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. I mean, I'm not following a person, sorry guys, anywhere in ministry who's willing to disguise himself when he goes into battle. You have to be, you have to know who your leaders are. Are they going out as themselves or are they pretending to be someone else? You know? Who, who are you when you go out? You want people to follow you? You are a leader in Christ because we all are leaders. We are called to lead people unto salvation, to lead them into the, into the goodness of God. Don't disguise yourself. Go in as you are. Be open, be honest, be true. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Because he knew who his, who his attacker was. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Josephat that they said, surely this is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Josephat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So in other words, Joseph had, had disguised himself as Ahab. The, the Syrians went after him. Joseph had cried out. He's like, whoa, dudes, like this just got out of hand. I, I'm not actually that guy. You know, I'm in disguise. He's disguised as someone else. It's not me. Don't, don't put your arrows at me. Then they're like, you're not even the guy we're after. We've got our eyes set on one guy. And this is where, this is really the part that I want you to grab a hold of. This is what I, what I really felt the Lord put on for some people in the church, everyone in the church, I don't know, someone, maybe one person. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariots, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. So in other words, 
The chariots go after a guy. They think it's the king. They're like, oh, it's not the king. They're like, we followed the wrong guy. We've been deceived, the Syrians. And as they turn around, one guy, he's like, dude, I'm like locked and loaded. I'm firing off a bullet, you know? Like, you don't take me out hunting and I'm not going to shoot one thing. And he literally just like turns and he lets go of his bow. Boom. The arrow flies. And what does it do? It strikes the king who's in disguise in another chariot between the gaps of his armor and pierces him. And the king, it says here, that he left the battle and he died in his chariot facing the Syrians. And the word that I felt the Lord was saying is sometimes we have an arrow in our hands and we're so scared to fire it off. We're so scared to let that thing go because we don't know if we're shooting it at the right place or the wrong place. We don't know if it's going to hit the mark or not hit the mark. But I can tell you one thing is one, and for, for sure is that an arrow not fired will never hit the mark. If you are in the Lord's army and you fire your arrows, they will always hit the mark, even if you don't know what that mark is. Amen. You have a pursuit of something in, in your life. And you're like, how am I ever going to get there? You've got to be willing to let go of that arrow. You've got to be willing to sow that seed. You've got to be willing to invest into something that you feel the Lord telling you to invest into or something that you don't even know. Lord, here's what I've got. Here I am. Take me. It's all me. That's what I can put in the offering basket. I've got nothing else to give. I'm going to let go of this arrow. And what is going to happen is you're going to take out your enemy. You're going to pierce your enemy in the midst of his armor, in the midst of his deception and hiding. You're going to take him out and he will die in his chariot facing you. Now, obviously, in this story, like, you're like, but Israel's good and the Syrians are bad and stuff. But you have to read it for what God's saying. It's like, these guys were not in obedience to God. They were not listening to God. They were not following God. They were attacking these other guys. And I really feel like the Lord is saying to you, stop holding on to your arrows. We all have something to throw into the midst. We all have something to, to, to fire off at our enemy. And, and we love to to analyze every decision. We love to think like, Lord, should I go on this mission trip? Should I go out with our team evangelizing? Should I sow into this person's life? You know, should I save this money? Analyze, analyze, analyze. And God's saying, in the end, do you trust me or do you not trust me? Are you willing to walk with me or are you not willing to walk with me? There's a calling upon each of our lives to take the word of God to the nations. Now, I'm not saying the nations has to be remote Zambia or Zimbabwe or Mozambique where we are and, and Congo and stuff like that. The nations are here. The nations are at your doorstep. That is the call of God on our lives. That is the, that is the, the, the last and final instruction that God would give us. In, in Matthew 28, it says, go into all the nations and make disciples. But we're so sometimes so scared of letting go of those arrows in our quiver. We're holding on to those acorns and saying, Lord, I will go when I have the oak tree. When everything's established, when everything's in place. And God's saying, just sow, the, sow it, sow it, sow it. Don't let go of it. Sow it. He is faithful to bring the harvest. He is faithful to bring the testimony. And you may never even know where your seed produces a harvest, but I promise you it will. You can look for the harvest. You can ask God, Lord, I've sowed seed. Where's the harvest? And he'll bring it to light. He'll remind you of where you've sown seed. He'll remind you of where the harvest is because he is faithful and he wants you to be, to be blessed and to, to flourish in every way. Amen? Amen? Well, guys, we are privileged and honored to be here.
Pastor Mike. We love you guys dearly. We're so grateful. Um, it, it, it's not something we take lightly, if I can say it that way. Yeah.